2015, Queensland, Australia. A 12-year-old girl is in the foster care of the Thorburn family. It's no ordinary family. They are nothing but sick, twisted and incestuous. As you'll see tonight, nothing is taboo at the Thorburns. This is the story of the rape and murder of Tiali Palmer. Host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Okay, so hi Islanders, before I get into the case tonight, there were a few issues with people accessing the episode last week. Now it only affected iTunes players. I have updated the feed, so it is now working, but but you may need to purge the original feed from your device to get last week's episode to load. Now I don't really know exactly what went wrong, But if you do unsub, then refresh iTunes, maybe even restart your device, then resub to the feed, it should fix the issue. You can always download or stream from the website truecrimeisland.com if you ever have issues with iTunes in the future. Also, I had someone copy most of my episodes, artwork and even use my Facebook photos to create a pirate version of True Crime Island on YouTube. If you ever see True Crime Island on YouTube, please let me know so I can get it taken down. They were trying to get subscribers so that they could then monetize my work as their own. Now, I may use YouTube sometime in the future, but I will let you know well in advance. Some people are just scum. Now, speaking of scum, let's get to the Thorburn family of scum. As you may remember, I did do a small part of an episode on these sickos, but as the father Rick Thorburn had not yet been to trial, I could not bring you the whole story. So first up, let me give you a bit of background on who Tiali was and how she ended up with the Thorburns. Tiali was born the 11th of April 2003 to Cindy Palmer. She grew up in a house that herself and her mother were experiencing escalating domestic violence. Eventually, when Tiali turned seven, Cindy decided to contact the Department of Child Safety, Youth and Women and place Tiali into foster care to try and protect her from the violence in her home. Cindy did not make this decision lightly and she kept close contact with her daughter at all times. In a 60 Minutes interview, Cindy felt that placing her daughter into foster care 
was the safer option. Soon devastated at being apart from Tearly, Cindy's life started to fall apart, spiralling out of control from drugs and homelessness. But I won't dwell on that as she has got her life back together. Tia, as she was known, was placed in several foster homes, including two happy years with gimpy foster mother, Julie Pemberton. In December 2014, the Thorburns provided respite care for Tia on the weekends. The Thorburns were seen as the poster family of foster care. Father Rick Thorburn, Mother Julie Thorburn and their two sons, 18-year-old Trent and 19-year-old Josh. Then in January 2015, she was placed full-time at the Thorburns' semi-rural property at Flesser Road Chambers Flat, south of Brisbane. In that month, a temporary child protection order was made in relation to Tia and she was placed in the Thorburns' care up till the 23rd of October 2015. What seemed like a perfect place to grow up with plenty of room, a large house, swimming pool and horses was actually the complete opposite. Even though Julene Thorburn, the mother of the family, was running a daycare centre out of the property, it would become the scene of some of the most shocking and disgusting acts imaginable. Cindy Palmer was not happy with Tia's placement at the Thorburn residence. She did not like the fact that there were two teenage sons living there, the 18-year-old Trent and 19-year-old Josh. Now I can only assume that at this stage Cindy Palmer was powerless to make decisions on where Tia was placed. I just know she was concerned with her daughter being placed with a family that had two teenage sons. On Cindy's first meeting with the family, Rick Thorburn told her how when he was young, he used to hang out with a gang that ran guns and prostitutes. I don't know about you, but that would sound alarm bells to me. Things started out okay, but soon Tia's mother became concerned over Tia's changed personality. She was starting to play up a bit, she was wearing different and not really age-appropriate clothes, and she was skipping school. Julie Pemberton, who had been Tia's foster mum for a couple of years, said Tia told her she hated her new home, but she did not elaborate on what was wrong. But Tia would tell her friends that she was scared of Rick, but had a crush on Trent, and it seems this is what kept her from leaving the family. So it's easy to see that a young girl could have a crush on an older guy, but in this case the older guy lived in the same house, and as it would turn out, he couldn't keep his hands to himself and started taking advantage of the situation. So, Trent Thorburn, 18-year-old, thinks he's something pretty special by the number of selfies he would upload of himself in various poses, He saw himself as a dancer, metal fabrication apprentice and classic car builder. As it would come to be, he would wait for his father and mother to be out of the house and he would go and have sex with Tia. Obviously, his mother and father didn't know what was going on or they were being willfully blind 
and it's unclear if his brother Josh knew he was having sex with his 12-year-old foster sister. What we do know is that at any opportunity, he was taking advantage of Tia. So as I said, Tia was placed at the Thorburns in January 2015 and Cindy was now in the process of trying to get her life together and get her daughter back with a court date of the 5th of November 2015 for further orders to be made to Tia's ongoing care. By September 2015 though, Trent told one of his cousins that he was having sex with Tia and he was worried that she may be pregnant. This cousin then approached Trent's mother, Julene Thorburn, telling her of the relationship late in October. Julene, of course, told Rick what was happening, and he could see that if it got out that his son was having sex with the 12-year-old in his care, and that if she was also pregnant, that a world of shit was coming his way. Now, from what I've read, Rick Thorburn was a bit of a controlling type. He had a criminal past, but a judge described this as limited, largely irrelevant and dated. He'd had a shit family life himself and was prone to to depression. So Rick is confronted with his foster daughter being incestuously raped by his son Trent and that she may even be pregnant and Trent would go to jail. This is the afternoon of the 29th of October 2015. So what does he decide to do? Well, he tells his wife to go and see her sister and the cousin that had told her about Trent and not to come back until late in the night. He also told his two sons to stay away from the house until late in the night as well. Julian left the house at around 8pm and returned at about 10pm. At around the same time, Trent and Josh returned to the house. When they returned, they found Rick sitting in the lounge room. Julian asked Rick if Tia was alright. Rick replied that it's all taken care of. He told her not to ask any questions as she did not need to know. Rick did tell the family that Tia was no longer with them and he hoped they understood what he meant. He also explained to the family that in order to protect Trent, they had to go on and act normally and needed to keep to a story that Tia had gone to school the next day. Rick also told them not to come home until late the next day so he could dispose of Tia's body and if anyone asked, you had not seen her. Rick told them that he had a good place to hide the body. Then they all went to sleep. So, for those that don't already know, while the family were out earlier in the night, Rick entered Tia's room and either strangled or suffocated her. Once he'd squeezed the life out of the defenceless 12-year-old girl, he wrapped her body up in a blanket and hid it in a shed outside the family home. The next day, the 30th of October 2015, the family went about their normal duties. Soon the school would call Rick Thorburn, advising him that Tia was not there. Rick feigned concern and told them that he dropped her off at school earlier in the day. Now, Tia had run off before, 
but had always been found within hours. What made this time a bit strange was when Rick reported Tia missing, he looked extremely distressed and had broken down so much that he had to get a social worker to drive him to the police station to formally report her missing. Rick spent the rest of the day helping police try to find Tia. Now, the family ran a daycare from their house. Now, this would remain open for six months after Tia goes missing. Now, that night, and as instructed, Trent and Josh stayed away from the family home. At 8pm, Rick told Jolene that he had something to do. Jolene then saw Rick back his Ford Falcon into the shed and that she could see Rick put something in the back. About 15 to 30 minutes later, Rick drove off. Trent and Josh returned home around 10pm and were told by their mother Jolene that their father was out getting rid of Tia's body. Rick returned home around 11pm, covered in dirt, and said, It's done. What he had done was drive nearly 40 kilometres, or 25 miles, to a place where Kirkton Road North intersected with the Pimpana River at Jacob's Well. He had driven just off the road and dumped Tia's body about 50 metres from the side of the bridge. He left her mostly naked, with her head and arms submerged in the water on the embankment. Now police started to search for Tia, and so did her biological mum Cindy. But when someone's been murdered and dumped 40 kilometres away, and there are no leads, no sightings, nothing... It must have been extremely frustrating for police and her mum. On the 5th of November, police released photos of Tia and asked the community for information on her whereabouts. Later in the day, fishermen would discover the decomposed remains of a girl aged between 12 and 18 at Pimpana River at Jacob's Well. The next day, they would identify those remains as those of Tia Lee Palmer. As Tia was found only wearing her underpants, police searched the area for her school uniform and school backpack. They would only find one shoe. Now Rick must have thought about this though. If they found Tia with clothes other than her school uniform, then police would suspect that he'd not dropped her off at school before so he must have disposed of her school backpack and left her to only wear her undies. An autopsy on her body found that other than a bruise to the scalp, the body was too decomposed to give a cause of death. However, they were able to ascertain that she died on the evening of the 29th of October. On the 7th of November, the community held a vigil for Tia and her funeral was held on the 14th of November with more than 600 people attending. Okay, at this stage, police don't have very much to go on but they do suspect Rick as being involved. The family were one in saying that the last they saw of Tia was before she went to school on the 30th of October and they hadn't seen her since. Rick told police he drove her to school and he saw her meet another child when he dropped her off. 
The family would be interviewed several times by police, first on the discovery of her body on the 6th of November, then again on the 20th of November, and in February 2016. They basically all stuck to their story that the last they saw of Tia was before she left for school and that Rick dropped her off in the morning. Cops aren't stupid, and when they couldn't find any evidence that some random killer had abducted Tia and murdered her, they started to look very closely at the family. Listening devices were planted in the family home. Police would be able to listen in on the family concocting their story and this would ultimately fuck them up. The family were required to give evidence to the Crime and Corruption Commission as part of their investigation into Tia's disappearance. On the first hearing on June 26, they basically kept to their story. When giving evidence at the same investigative hearing on the 19th of September, Trent did acknowledge that he had had sexual intercourse with his foster sister, but in evidence gave an explanation as to the circumstances of that intercourse consistent with a version suggested to him by his father as recorded by the covert listening device. He maintained that the sexual contact he did have with Tia had nothing to do with her disappearance. What it must be like to be a cop listening into this disgusting, incestuous, shit-stained excuse for a family talking about the bullshit story they have to keep just waiting for the right moment to pounce and book them. And book them they did. The Thorburn clan were taken into police custody for questioning. Rick Thorburn was charged with Tilly's murder. Julian, his wife, and Joshua, his son, were charged with perjury and attempting to pervert the course of justice. And 19-year-old Trent Thorburn was charged with two counts of perjury and one count each of attempting to pervert the course of justice and incest. The offence of incest involved Trent having unprotected sexual intercourse with his 12-year-old foster sister, Tilly. Rick Thorburn would ultimately plead guilty to murder and would be sentenced to life with a non-parole period of 20 years. He also got done for perjury, but the sentence will be served concurrently, so it really doesn't matter how long he got sentenced for that. At least pleading guilty saved us from a long, drawn-out court case. His parole eligibility date is the 12th of September 2036. Currently, he's being protected from other inmates as there's going to be a hit on him. Oh dear, Rick, they can't protect you forever inside. For what you did to that poor girl is unforgivable and 30 years will never be enough. There's also other matters that are being dealt with at the moment. Rick has also now been charged with abusing two children under 12 between 2015 and 2016 at the family home, which was being used as a daycare centre. And remember, this was allowed to stay open for six months after Tia's disappearance. 
So Tia goes missing and the family daycare gets to stay open for another six months. Yeah, right, social services. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Maybe you should have at least closed their centre down after Tia went missing, turns up dead, and they're investigating the family. What's fucking wrong with you lot? Anyway, let's go on. Now, I'll go over Trent's crimes here, and I'm repeating parts of the last episode I, episode I did on this scumbag family. The first count of perjury arose out of evidence given by Trent to the Crime and Com- Corruption Commission as part of an investigative hearing into the disappearance of Tia. On the 26th of June, 2016... Trent falsely testified that there'd been no sexual contact between him and Tia. He also falsely claimed he'd seen Tia at the time when he knew she'd been killed by his father. The second count of perjury arose out of evidence given by Trent at an investigative hearing conducted by the Crime and Corruption Commission on the 19th of September 2016. By that time, extended family members had provided statements to the police contradicting Trent's denial of sexual contact with Tia. Basically, they turned on him after they were just trying to save their own skin. Further, a covert listening device had recorded Trent's parents telling him and his brother to continue to maintain the false story. Great family. When Trent was recalled to the investigative hearing on the 19th of September 2016, he acknowledged he had had sexual intercourse with Tia, but in evidence gave an explanation as to the circumstances of that intercourse consistent with a version suggested to him by scumbag father as recorded by the covert listening devices. Thank God police did that. Trent continued to falsely testify that the fact of sexual contact was in no, was not in any way connected with Tia's disappearance. Trent also falsely testified that there had been no family discussion on the night Tia had been killed by his father. As you can see, the cops are letting them get as much rope as they can to hang themselves. The offence of attempting to obstruct the course of justice arose out of the consequence of Trent giving false statements to police about Tia's last whereabouts. Trent gave a false statement on the 6th of November 2015, which was repeated on the 20th of November 2015. He again gave a false statement on the 11th of February 2016. So Trent was taken into custody on the 20th of September 2016 and denied bail. Justice John Bond said that there were concerns Trent Thorburn would commit crimes against children if released on bail as police claimed he had been sexually involved with at least another minor. How's this? I won't go into all the judge's sentencing remarks, but I will tell you this. Trent told his cousin that he engaged in sexual intercourse under threat that Tia would hurt his dog if he didn't do it. Look, basically all the rest of the remarks are about he continued to lie to police about what he and his father had done and how he'd been bashed while on remand in prison and spent most of his time in solitary. At least someone got a couple of hits in. But this cunt is already out. He got four years, but wait, that was for the head sentence of perjury. 
he actually had his sentence suspended after only being in custody for 16 months. You see, he was going to be sentenced for two and a half years for incest. So that's having incest or raping his 12-year-old sister isn't seen as being as bad as perjury. So incest was worth 30 months and the other charges 36 months. But the judge thought that that was just too much. So he was able to serve only 16 months. I mean, what the fuck? Trent Thorburn's actions ultimately led to the murder of Tealy Palmer. The whole scummy family tried to cover up the alleged offence committed by the father. Now, this asshole was released on the 19th of January 2018. In fact, they're all out of jail, except for Rick. Other than Trent, who started the whole thing in motion, and Rick, who ended up murdering Tia, let's have a look at Julene, the mother. She knew what Rick was going to do. Only when confronted with the audio tapes did she turn on Rick and confess to what had happened. She told police in an interview on why she kept up the lies and false story. She said it was more about protecting us, our family, our lifestyle and our upstanding in the community. (sighs) She could have stopped this murder. She knew what Rick was going to do. Even if she was scared of Rick, she should have intervened and called police or someone to get Tia out of there. I haven't got much to say about Joshua other than he's just scum. He's the least guilty of what went on in this family. What did I call him back at the start? Sick, twisted and incestuous. I just can't get out, get over. They're all out of jail now except for Rick. All I can say is that people remember who these Thorburns are and steer clear. Let's hope the Karma Bus picks this lot up and sends them to boom fuckalunga. I really feel for Cindy Palmer, who's lost her daughter. Cindy has got her life back together, but has lost someone she gave up only because she loved her and wanted her to be safe. The shit fact is... This won't be the last time something like this will happen. There can never be really any justice for Tia. There can never be any real justice for any heinous crime like this. So that's the end of the show tonight. So a shout out to the new patrons of the island. Hi to Jennifer Ballesteri and Tracy Bailey. A big shout out to Supreme Goddess Christy Booth again. Thank you so much for your support and thanks to all the existing and past Patreons. Your support is very much appreciated as this is a commercial free podcast and I know you all love that. And the show is totally listener supported. If you want to become a patron of the island, just go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. All funds go directly back to the island. You can also do a one-off payment via PayPal, and you can do that by typing paypal.me forward slash true crime island so you can buy me a beer. If you want stickers, koozies, pins or key rings, you need to email me directly. My email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. I can price it up for you according to postage. I've got $20 and $25 loot packs available now, which include keychain, lapel pin, koozie and stickers. That also includes postage. 
You can buy the keychains, pins, koozies all by themselves if you like. Just email me for the pricing. All other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage and even beach towels is via the shop, truecrimeisland.threadless.com. This all might be confusing, but there are links to everything at my website, truecrimeisland.com, or just send me an email. Again, you don't have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review, and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. Join the Facebook group. Just search for True Crime Island and join the closed the closed page, whatever that is. There's Jason and Senga there. They'll they'll let you in. Don't forget to check out the Twitter and Instagram. The island handle is at True Crime Island. You can join in the chat there. And there's so many other podcasts on there. You'll find someone to talk to. Hi to all the followers. I don't have a promo this week, but it's been, <laughs> has been a bit hectic with this iTunes and YouTube thing. So that's about it for tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.